So our reading is taken from Isaiah uh, chapter 37, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 20. And in the Pew Bibles, it starts on page 721. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloths, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received a report that Terhakah, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Zehez, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Asar? Where is the king of Hama or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Leir? Sephavim, Hena, and Iva. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, You alone are God over all the nations of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands, They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, 
so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Victoria. Good morning, everyone. Nice to be with you this morning. Please do keep your Bibles open and there at page uh, 721, um, Isaiah chapter 37, so we'll be looking at it together. Let me pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and we pray now that you would really speak to us, help us to understand it, apply it to our lives, that we may live for your glory and your glory alone. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The key to understanding um, our reading today comes in the the previous chapter, in chapter 36 uh, and verse 5. Uh, And the taunt that comes from the king of Assyria, you can see it there in verse 5, and he asks a question, on whom are you depending? Do you see it? Do you see it there in, in verse 5 in chapter 36? On whom are you depending? Comes the taunt. Uh, we need to keep our heads, don't we? We need to keep our heads in a, in a crisis because there's always pressure on us um, to depend on something else and not God. To not depend on his word and to listen to others around us. So, so on whom are you depending this morning? Very important question for each of us. As we're, and we're going to find out this morning how it worked out for Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel? Hezekiah even. <laughs> Get the right one. Hezekiah. Isaiah um, here in this section is beginning uh, a new section. It's very much the pivot in the whole of Isaiah. Um, chapters 36 to 39 act as a, a bit of a bridge. Um, we have here, before we get to chapter 36, the call. Up until this point, we've had the call to the people of God in chapters 28 and 35, particularly um, to trust in God. He's been saying over and over again, trust in God alone, depend on him. And now we see how it's going to work out. How did it work out for Hezekiah and in history? Is, is faith a smart policy for real life. Does God intervene in our lives? Does God care? Is God really the king of the world, of our lives, of the UK, of the nations? And here we'll see the answer is, is always yes, yes, yes. In 701 BC, the Assyrian army had swarmed all over um, Judah. Only Jerusalem, the city remained. Their king, Assyrian king, Sennacherib, sent his commander with a message to threaten Judah and to make, and, and telling Judah and Hezekiah to make a bargain. And so in chapter 36, verse 5, on whom are you depending comes that taunt that you rebel against me. Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff. 
in verse 8 of chapter, six, of chapter 36. Come, make a bargain with me, master, my master, the king of Assyria. Verse 14, this is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. That's what led to our reading. God's people are surrounded. It looks lost. The enemy is gloating and saying, you know, this is it. Checkmate. Game over. What more can Judah do? Will they negotiate? Or maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, they will stop faking it and they'll go deeper with the true and living God and depend on him in all situations, good or bad. And so that brings us to our our reading, chapter 37. And I've got three um, headings for us. Depending on God. Depending on God means getting real with him, firstly, verses 1 to 7. It means staking your life on him, verses 8 to 13. And it means seek Seeking to glorify him. Verses 14 to 20. Let's start with God. Depending on God means getting real with him. Verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth, and he went into the temple of the Lord. It's almost as if finally Hezekiah realizes That what really matters is not his relationship with the surrounding nations, with the Assyrian king. But what really matters is his relationship with the king of heaven. This is an act of repentance. Verse 2 says, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to a moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It's a very vivid image, isn't it? It's at the point of deep repentance. In other words, we admit it. Hezekiah's coming to a point where he's admitting his need. He's failed. We are not living proof of the reality of God to the nations around. We've produced nothing but exhaustion and suffering. We must be delivered, but we have no strength to do it ourselves. It's admitting we can't do it ourselves. It's a, it's a point of repentance. And at that point, he seeks the word of God. The word of God. He seeks the word of God, and he gets a word of promise through the prophet Isaiah. You see that in verse 6. Isaiah said to, to them, This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen. When he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. It's a promise. Making a promise that he's going to deliver them. But God doesn't just charge um, into battle with all guns blazing like we often do when we're trapped in a corner. He simply sends a certain report, it says. And, and in some translations um, have it as he sends a report, a, a, a rumor or, or just a whisper even that sends the Mr. 
uh, king of Assyria, the big shot, he sends him packing because another nation seeks to, to attack him. This is a turning point. This is a turning point. It's a point of repentance. And we still need that today. We need to get real with God. Because unbelief still comes to us and, and sneers at us and taunts us and mocks faith in God. We still lose our nerve, don't we? And God is still there to deliver us. But for us to see that, we need to get real with God. We need to come before him. We need to admit our need of him and our dependence on him alone. Hezekiah steps here out in, with daring faith. It's quite a daring thing. Is our Christianity a daring faith? Perhaps that's one of the reasons we actually see few people coming to faith is that our Christianity isn't that daring anymore. It's kind of a a padded, safe, sanitized Christianity, a kind of lukewarm, predictable, worldly, when we occasionally stop off at church, thinking it's God's job to ensure our undisturbed routines. When in actual fact, God wants us to show us, wants to show through us and a watching world just how real he is. God's not looking for a people to look inside themselves for power or to look to other powers like the, the Egyptians, Hezekiah did with the Egyptians. Instead, he wants us just to simply look to him, to depend on him. As Hezekiah did, he went, what did he do? He went into the house of the Lord. So we simply need to go to him. We need to turn around, repent, stop trusting in other things and other nations and other people. Admit our need. We need to seek him. Seek his word, his word of promise, his word of deliverance. So that's the first point. We need to get real with God. But secondly, um, we need to actually stake our life on him. We need to stake our life on him. So you've got real with God. You've, you've uh, admitted uh, that you need him, that you can't, do the, can't be delivered on your own. You can't ha- be saved um, by your own means. You've heard his word. Now will you stake your life on him? That's what confronts Hezekiah, actually, in this next section in verses 8 to 13. As the Assyrian king comes back and tries to um, undermine, to knock Hezekiah's confidence. Look at verse 10 with me. Do not, this is at the Assyrian king uh, speaking, verse 10. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of of the king of Assyria. You know, he's coming along to to Hezekiah, isn't he? And he says, don't buy it. Don't really believe it. You're surrounded. There's no way out of this for you. You, You're in, in my clutches. Has any other nation ever escaped? Think about it, Hezekiah. Come on, think about it. Don't be a a fool. 
And you see what the king of Assyria is doing. He's trying to undermine Hezekiah's dependence in God. And it's so easy to listen, isn't it, to those threats, to those thoughts in our, ha- in our heads from others. And the struggle that goes on in our hearts. Will we stake our lives on the truthfulness of God? Will we stake our lives on the truthfulness of God's word, of his promise to us? Will we believe God and what he says? And so the Assyrian king, he, I mean, he kind of turns up the psychological heat through this, this section to the point in verse 13. Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arapad? Where is the king of La and Seraphim, Hena and Ivni? Think about it, Hezekiah. They're all dead. Do you want to be dead too? You can imagine Hezekiah kind of listening and picturing these kings that he may well have known, these kings in his mind's eye, picturing them being prison prisoners, then being impaled and then being butchered because that's what the king of Assyria did. Will it be the king of Judah next? The pressure must have been great. Now, of course, we might not face, we in this country, thankfully, won't face quite the same kind of crisis that Hezekiah did. But it's the same thoughts, isn't it? It's the same kind of picture that goes on in our heads, that enters our head in those moments. Perhaps when you're cornered, you feel pressurized and you can't see a way out. When life feels like it's hanging in the balance. And you can't see a way out of the situation you're in. You might be tempted to go and give something else a go instead of trusting in the Lord Almighty. I'm sure you can think of those moments for yourself when you, when you make a stand for God. When you step out with daring faith. But then comes the volley of doubts. The questioners. The doubters. People who come in and just say things subtly. Just, just why don't you just calm down about this, this God thing, this, all this God talk. Just, just calm down. Settle down a bit. You don't need to be that daring with God. You know, make some, some compromises. Will we stake our lives on him? That's our, our second point. And and which leads us then to our, our final point. Depending on God means seeking to glorify him. Hezekiah responded to the first threat in by getting real with God, by going to the, the temple. That was good. His faith was coming alive. In response to the second threat, what does Hezekiah do? He goes deeper with God. He goes deeper with God. Look at verse 14 uh, with me. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. The bad old days of seeking out maybe Egypt to help, some other source or nation have gone. Seeking to make 
a treaty. Gone. What does he do? He just simply comes before the Lord and he he lays it out before the Lord. He, He prays the first thing that he does. And see how he prays. Just see how he prays. He's now trusting in God alone. His faith is less complicated in many ways. His passion now is for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Look at verse 16. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the world's Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. See where he's getting to. He's, he's, he's got to that point where he's saying, this isn't about me anymore. This isn't about me. He realizes. this. Is, he's saying, this is an attack on you, God. You can't let this go unanswered. The Assyrian king has really beaten up everybody, every nation around, and exposed their gods for what they are, that they're wood and they're stone. But that's why I'm asking you to save us, Lord. Why? Verse 20. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. It's an incredible way to pray, isn't it? And so different from the way that we often pray. Hezekiah finally sees the meaning of his life. What is the meaning of his life? He exists to display the glory of God in the world. He exists for God's glory. He's no longer treating God like a kind of vending machine, putting prayers in to get the, prayer, the thing out the bottom. He's not praying, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? He's praying, Lord, may you be glorified. May people know that you are the only true Lord. May you be honoured and lifted up. His own personal fate is no longer the primary concern. Do you see that? That's really important for us as we pray. We need to pray like this. It's not that our needs don't matter, but we need to start praying in this way. We need to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, why are we here? Why are you here? Not to kind of play in some sandpit of our own making, but to be living proof. That God saves sinners like you and me. To be living proof that God can deliver us. We need to ask ourselves, why is, why is God there? Not to serve our convenience, our kind of selfish dreams, but to display his glory and his majesty. To display it in our salvation. And when his glory becomes our passion... We're not robbed. Far from it. We're not diminished. Rather, we're given real dignity. We overcome evil. We overcome temptation and trial. Hezekiah finally sees what God's word, throughout Isaiah, through the first, chap- the first 30 odd chapters, is being trying to say. He finally sees what he's been banging on about all the way to this point. It's not this world that we need to deal with. It's 
not this world that we primarily need to, to sort out. No, it's the living God that we need to deal with. The nations and powers, the ideas and the fashions, the values and the beliefs of this world, they're not ultimate. They are not ultimate. They do not define us. Only God does. It's not human powers or human ingenuity or human wisdom or YouTube or blogs or self-help books we need. We just simply need God. And more of God in our lives. So we need to stop praying, Lord, I want want you to make my life better. Stop praying, Lord, I want you to make my husband or wife like this or or like that. Or stop praying, I I want my children to behave. Or or, or stop praying, I want a better job or a, a bigger house. Don't treat God like that vending machine. Instead, start praying like this. Use this prayer in your own quiet times. Lord, I just want you to be glorified. I want you to be God to me. I want my life, my problems, my ups, my downs to show a watching world that you save, that you alone can deliver sinners. The way, the way we pray, the way we come before God will either confirm to a watching world that Christianity is either just an, another crutch, just another selfish power play, or whether we will surprise that watching world by praying that Christianity is about finding in the glory of Christ in what he's done for us through the cross, everything desirable. Though it does mean that we have to remove ourselves from the center and we have to put his cross at the center instead. It's an incredibly powerful passage, isn't it? Hezekiah reached a pivotal moment. And maybe you're at a pivotal moment as well. He reached a pivotal moment in his life. He was cornered. He was in a crisis. Seemingly nowhere else to go. What was he going to do? What are you going to do in that situation? He turned to God. He got real with God. He got down on his knees. He ran to God. He turned to him in repentance. He admitted his failure and his dependency on God. He staked his life on God. And he sought to glorify him. To point to him and his deliverance. Will we do the same? Let's pray. Our God, our Father, we come before you recognizing that so often we depend on other things and other people rather than depending on you. And Father, we come before you and we admit our need. We sense the rebuke of your word here. But yet we also 
sense the promise of your words that you alone can deliver. Father, help us to trust in you, to depend on you, to stake our lives on you. When those taunts and those sneers come in, Father, help us to look to you and to stake our lives on you. Father, we pray that all of it would be to your glory, that it would be to your honour, to your praise, that so a watching world may see who you are and to see your great salvation through Jesus Christ, the one who has died for us to deliver us from sin and death. In him we trust. Change us, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.